there is probably nothing more central to the work of healthcare quality improvement than being able to demonstrate new and effective models for system redesign. While innovations to deliver care more safely and effectively have always been key to progress on the front lines, all these efforts have taken on some new meaning and significance with the creation of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, housed within CMS. The very idea of an innovation center that can accelerate the changes needed for U.S. health care and, equally important, make sure some of the best new ideas gain traction and become, become known to all is really exciting and a critical piece to what many argue is essential to turning the tide on poor health care quality and rising health care costs. Welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, offered bi-weekly and also for your later listening and convenience as a downloadable file via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. We've got the Acting Director of the Innovation Center, Dr. Rick Gilfillan, with us today. Um, and we've got all of you, and that's, in fact, the partnership uh, that's envisioned here, and we're going to hear more about that. In an otherwise noisy news environment about health care reform, along came this quiet but important, important announcement last September that Dr. Rick Gilfillan would assume the post of acting director of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. Dr. Gilfillan had migrated over to CMS during the summer to help look at value-based payment initiatives, an area he knew well when he was president and CEO of Geisinger Health Plan and executive vice president of system insurance operations at Geisinger Health System, all based in Danville, Pennsylvania. There, Dr. Gil Fillon's work drew positive headlines because of the development of one of the country's first bundled payment reimbursement systems. Now, that's not all there is to the story or Rick, Rick's story, as we're about to learn more. So, Rick Gil Fillon, welcome to WIHI. Madge, thanks very much. It's a uh, it's an honor uh, to be with you today and to um, have a chance to talk with uh, folks about the Innovation Center. And um, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be uh, part of an IHI effort, given the work that you folks have done over so many years to improve health and health care here and across the world. So it's uh, it's a great opportunity to be with you. All right. Well, that's terrific, and I appreciate all the effort, Rick, you and your staff uh, put into uh, helping me plan today. Uh, we've got a little over 740 folks on and climbing, and some of those people often have others with them. So we welcome all of you. Uh, as we norm- oh. normally do on WIHI, we're going to spend about a half an hour uh, or so um, mas o menos, and uh, we'll uh, talk with Rick about some of the ideas and what's going on at the Innovation Center, and then we happily will open things up for your questions and comments. So, Rick, it's always helpful to get us all on the same page, and we know some people have been perhaps uh, tracking the developments at the Innovation Center and what's going on at CMS in uh, perhaps uh, daily, but not everyone has, and I wonder if you could just bring us up to speed uh, and remind us why the Innovation Center was created, uh, kind of just the nuts and bolts of uh, what what this is all about right now. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to, match. Thanks. So, um, Section 3021 of the Innovation Center of the, I'm sorry, the Affordable Care Act uh, created this Center for Medicare and Medicaid um, Innovation. And um, 
I just want to let me give you a little background and then a, a kind of a quick update as to where we are. Um, but as we're thinking about the mission and um, the objectives for the center, we've tried to anchor uh, that in the new mission for the C CMS that Don Berwick has um, established since the, uh, the uh, secretary uh, has um, embraced, I think, for the entire department, and that is to see us as a trustworthy partner and a constructive force for continual improvement in health and health care for all Americans. Um, that is a pretty ambitious and uh, quite a uh, different mission um, for CMS uh, than what has been uh, perceived to be its mission in the past, I think. And I, I just want to kind of give you, frame our, our efforts a little bit in the context of that mission. And if you think about what it means to be a constructive force in improving health and health care, we'd say, you know, we start from a point where we are today, and we know we need to be a force moving in a particular direction. And so we start with the current healthcare system, and we look out there and we see, gee, there's a lot of people working very hard, doing great work, um, but the care is is fundamentally flawed because of the fragmentation in the system that so many of us in our families experience when we try and use it. So notwithstanding everybody's best, best efforts, the reality is that the system is fragmented. Uh, we have hospital care, we have physician care, we have people in skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes, um, many times um, not well coordinated, not communicating. Information uh, for us doesn't follow or about us doesn't follow us as we go through our journey of care across those different places or even in the same place necessarily over time. We all know that we go back and back to hospitals and multiple times, no electronic health record, we give them the same information four or five times. So the system is fragmented. And we know what the outcomes of that system are. The outcomes are intermittently or variable care, uh, outcomes that are oftentimes very good, but oftentimes not so good. So very variable outcomes and um, an experience of care that at times is somewhat frustrating for all of us, doctors, nurses, hospital folks, um, caregivers in the community, and patients. And um, we know that the overwhelming financial impact is that we have a health system that is unsustainable. And we, we know that it's unsustainable um, because we're, every day we're seeing more and more problems with states and local governments and the federal government trying to figure out how to finance their obligations to provide health care coverage. So the system is, is unsustainable, and we would suggest that that's a result of kind of this fragmented state. But where do we want to be? We want to look to a future where we have a safe, seamless, coordinated care system that produces a different set of outcomes and a set of outcomes that will be no surprise to you all. We think that system ought to be judged by its ability to improve the health the health care and reduce cost of care for um, that population through continuous improvement. So we look ahead to a system that's very different uh, than the system we have today. We know we can't do that from Washington. We know that can only be done by people providing care in local communities. So if you think about that transition from a fragmented system to a safe, seamless, coordinated system, that's a journey that we're all, we all need to be on. And if you think about CMS or you think about Blue Cross, or you think about local payers, fundamentally the way we pay people supports, demands, requires them, in fact, 
to provide fragmented care. And, and, and that's just the reality as to how payment systems have evolved over time. And if we want to have a different care system in the future, a safe, seamless, coordinated care system, we need to figure out ways of supporting folks in that kind of a business approach. That's not, that's different from what we're asking them, or, I'm sorry, that, that future is we're asking something very different of them, and we have to ask something very different of ourselves as CMS as a payer. So we have to transition from being a payer for fragmented care to being a value-added partner in helping people figure out how to provide seamless coordinated care. Given that, what did the Affordable Care Act provide in that regard? Well, there are a number of new payment approaches and new approaches to care that were built into the Affordable Care Act. ACOs are in there. There's some uh, um, requirement for medical home activity. Um, and there were other changes made that kind of help affect that transition. Uh, the Center for Innovation was given a very specific charge with regard to this transition to a new care system. Our job was to find new models of care and new models of payment that will reduce program expenditures and improve the quality of care uh, for uh, CMS beneficiaries in the Medicare, Medicaid, and CHIP programs. So the way we see that charge, we're, it's basically telling us to find those new models of care that will support the delivery of safe, seamless, coordinated care. So the mission of the Innovation Center is to find new models of care, new models of payment that allow us to be an effective and um, constructive partner with providers in delivering that, those new triple AAA outcomes of better health, better care, at reduced cost. That's, that's the mission, if you will, of the Innovation Center. To help us accomplish that, the legislation provided $10 billion over 10 years. Um, it also gave us uh, some extra kind of um, authority vis-a-vis -vis, uh, some government regulations that make it easier for us to do that work and to get out there and to work with um, care providers to find those new care models. Okay. Wow. So I'm sorry. Do, do, uh, you, I don't want to break your flow. Go ahead. Oh, well, let me. Let me. Let me. I'm sorry. I, I, I get excited and I. Yeah, go you on. sound excited, and I. I yeah, right. it, it does sound. It is exciting. Go ahead. Well, let me. Let me make a couple of other points, sure. and I'll be done. Matt. Uh, okay. How, when we think about care levels, uh, care models, we think about three levels of care. We think about models of care that improve the care of an individual patient. How do we do the best hip surgery? How do we do the best OB care? How do we do the best bypass surgery. So that's the patient-specific care model level, if you will. We think about models of care that look at coordinating care across time and space. How do we build ACOs that are effective? How do we build medical homes that are successful? How do we build other care models that coordinate care between nursing homes, doctor's offices, and um, homes, uh, people's homes? And the third level is at the population level. How do we find new models of care that improve the fundamental determinants of health of the population. So we work at those three levels of care looking for models uh, and looking for new ways of paying for care and providing administrative services to providers to facilitate their ability to deliver better outcomes in each of those levels of care. Obviously, they're all, they're all related. Where we are today in terms of the center, we have announced several initiatives. One was um, with dual eligibles, with states uh, having an opportunity to bid on uh, 
contracts to design new care models for people who have both Medicare and Medicaid. We're also uh, working on a medical home model for federally qualified health centers. We have, uh, we're working closely with Medicaid on their health home initiative, and we're working closely with um, the Office of Research uh, uh, Development and Information uh, on their multi-payer advanced primary care practice initiative. And we will be, uh, we have a website, innovations.cms.gov. We have some information out there today. Over the next several weeks, we'll have more information that allows people to respond, uh, provide ideas, uh, comment on our um, initial set of priorities, and begin the process of engaging with us directly in terms of um, possibly responding to um, requests that we'll have out there for new models of care. In the meantime, we've been around over the last two months. We've talked to over 5,000 people, um, providing suggestions, input for both how we should operate the center and um, ideas about care models that we should be um, investigating. I can tell you it's a very big country. $10 billion seemed like a lot at the beginning, but when you talk to all the people who have great ideas, um, it, it doesn't seem like uh, that much. So we need to be smart about how we use it. And uh, our goal, I would say, is to create a kind of wildfire of innovative activity around delivering those three-part AIM outcomes, work hard with you all to find ways of diffusing models of care that are out there already, and begin the process of identifying, scaling up, and validating and evaluating new models of care that people um, uh, bring to us. So let me stop there, Madge, okay. and um, okay. Sounds see great. what else yeah. you and others would like to talk about. Sure, that's terrific. Well, I'm sure people are going to have a lot of questions, so I won't stand in the way of that for very long. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. Um, when you said you talked to over 5,000 people uh, over, you know, as you've been ramping up, I'm curious whether uh, you heard anything surprising during those conversations and inputs. Is, is it all kind of rolled up now in, in your agenda? Uh, what was the most kind of resounding thing you heard uh, when uh, folks were sort of putting out their hopes and, and dreams for an innovation center? Um, you know, the first thing that was remarkable, uh, and we did this through a, a number of outreach calls. We visited, uh, I guess, six different cities and along the way. Um, and um, the most striking thing is um, the, the shared sense of excitement and opportunity. To, I think everyone would say, would say it feels like we finally have the opportunity to do what we kind of have been knowing we need to do. And they're very excited about the opportunity, not just with the Innovation Center, but in terms of, I think, in terms of the Affordable Care Act overall, there was just a great deal of enthusiasm for the, um, to jump in to be able to contribute to the, to the great goal of providing more coverage for people, making it affordable, and making, um, making care better. So, one, excitement, uh, and two, innovation everywhere, people jumping up with great ideas, wanting to show us um, ideas that do indeed improve quality and reduce costs. Uh, so lots of um, hard work going on there, and it's a little daunting because there's so many great uh, programs, uh, but it's very exciting as well. Um, and then, you know, a, a common theme which I thought was interesting was, you know, we all want to be involved. We don't, don't just make it about the usual suspects. Make it easy for all of us to get involved in um, uh, solving the challenges 
um, that everybody knows the country is facing. So, that's so those a, would be the high-level items. Yeah, that's great. Well, that leads me, uh, first a reminder, if you've just joined us, you're uh, listening to the very excited and exciting Dr. Rick Gilfillan, who's the acting director of the Innovation Center at CMS. I'm uh, WIHI host Madge Kaplan. Uh, Rick, your last point makes me ask you then this question. Uh, people are saying, yes, we, we want to be involved and, you know, give us uh, kind of some levers here uh, for inputs, etc. On the other hand, uh, I do think sometimes when something is called the Innovation Center, I can imagine that for some people are, are hoping it's the Answer Center, uh, meaning they may be hoping that all kinds of great new things kind of roll out and uh, folks figure out, you know, what they're supposed to do next. Uh, you've said to me, and I'm sure you've said it to many, that's not the dynamic that you envision here in terms of what, where, what, what kind of back and forth is going to go on here. So can you give us a little bit more, even a tangible sense of how that, that's going to work? What does it mean to sort of partner and that all the answers aren't coming from Washington? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think um, our, what we're – I can't be too too explicit uh, about kind of what we're going to do um, publicly because, or this in this setting, match because we have to go through some you know some regulatory notices, sure, uh, et cetera, which we'll be doing um, very shortly. But um, I, I, in generally, what I'd say is we we want to um, we we will put out some areas um, that one we want. We want, we want to get feedback from people and say, okay, we've listened, we've heard, we think these are areas, we think these are models that people want to get, uh, get at. Is that right? Give us some thoughts about it. What do you, how do you think we ought to structure it? Um, so we're going to do some of that. We also will do some, some, um, more, some more specific uh, potential requests for, uh, re- that would involve some uh, sort of response from people. And um, a lot of our work will be asking for um, people to come in and, in a competitive way, say, you know, we've, we want to participate in this particular program. Here's our proposal for how we would do that, and we would evaluate those proposals and go forward. We think we will also ask for folks to say, you tell us what the kinds of models are that we should be, you'd like to see us test, uh, and um, we will then uh, go back out and look for people around the country interested in pursuing that model, um, contract with people to do those uh, models, and create, in every case, we think, or at least in most cases, communities, innovative communities around new care models and sponsor collaboratives, um, other sorts of learning activities, um, build a, a, a web community that at times comes together in person around particular models, and really try and engage um, at the kind of the grass at the delivery system level um, with folks and facilitate the work that's done out there um, rather than try and kind of um, send out directives from here. Right. So one question I have, and you've kind of alluded to this in uh, some of your comments, is the nut that the Innovation Center is trying to crack that we don't have the good models or we don't understand or know enough about the good models and we don't have the means to spread them around? Uh, I know you've been doing a lot of thinking about sort of learning and how the country as a whole and more kind of capture the good models out there. What, what's the balance, would you say, at the Innovation Center? How are you looking at both those issues? Yeah. Um, 
You know, that's a great question that we've actually spent a lot of time on. Um, I think the first, the, it, in our mind, if you think about what, you know, go, let's, I'd ask everybody, you know, think back to the notion of a movement, like from, you know, from point B to point A, from, you know, that, the care system the way it exists today to the way we think we'd like it to work for ourselves, our families, and our parents, uh, and our neighbors. And if you think about it that way for a moment and think that, okay, we, we need to change, the starting point of every change is the decision to take a first step in a direction. And the most important thing that needs to happen everywhere within CMS, within hospitals, within doctors' offices, is we all need to think uh, about the need to take that first step towards that destination. We don't know ultimately what it's going to be, but if we said to ourselves, if we all say to ourselves, we're going to start getting on that road to delivering those outcomes. I'm going to accept responsibility for a population. I'm going to accept responsibility for improving those three aims for a population. If we think, if we're on that journey now, we've made that decision, our board of directors, if we're a health system, have made that decision, and then we say, how are we going to go? How are we going to get there? What's the road like? Well, you know, there's some ideas out there that have been actually shown to significantly improve um, the quality and cost of care for a population. There's lots of them out there. You all have been involved. Many people on mm -hmm. the on this show and listening in have been involved in creating them, and we think, indeed, they're there to be implemented. So we want to spread all of that information as, we, as, as much as possible. We have an obligation to evaluate models and make sure that they do, indeed, demonstrate improved quality and improved cost. So we will engage in, I would say, you know, 70% or 60, 70% of what we do initially will be around models that are out there that people have talked about that look promising, um, but that need to be spread and, and evaluated uh, more um, rigorously. Okay. Um, because one thing I didn't mention, if we can demonstrate to the Secretary of Health and Human Services satisfaction that a care model and a payment model improves uh, the cost of care and improves quality, then the secretary through regulation can change the way Medicare um, pays providers. So we have this obligation to rigorously evaluate new care models. So call it 70% or so might, of the initial work might be that, but we also know there are people out there that when given the charge will come up with totally new ideas about ways to do things. And we've been hearing about them over the last couple of months. They're out there, and we also know we need to look to those also and kind of get them the opportunity to start up, get going. And we want to kind of be operating in a way that is not just engaging the usual suspects, but that is engaging all the creative people we can find out there in tackling this, you know, tough question of how do we actually improve quality and at the same time decrease costs. All right. Just uh, one or two questions for me. I know I'm hogging, Rick, and then we'll open things up for questions and comments. Uh, first question I want to ask you um, is that uh, not everyone knows uh, a lot about the fact that you were a family practitioner for many years, and I wanted to get that in here uh, because, uh, in some sense, often the, the storyline uh, seems to start at Geisinger, which is fine, uh, a lot to be proud of there uh, in terms of innovation. Uh, but the, there's something very central also uh, for how, what you bring to this uh, from your background as a physician. Could you speak to that? Sure. I, I'd love to. Um, you know, I, I am a family doc by background. I uh, 
trained in Minneapolis, practicing uh, a little bit in Washington, D.C., in the inner city in Washington, practiced for five years in Massachusetts, and loved being a small-town family doc doing OB and peds in adult medicine, and, um, and uh, you know, went on to kind of get into the uh, managed care world and the executive role, uh, uh, managing uh, the business side of things over time. But for a number of years, I was the chief medical officer for a Blue Cross plan, and uh, you know, I, I guess um, I've, I've been around the health system and quite consciously tried to have experiences that, um, that you know, were different and, and exposed me and gave me the opportunity to learn from different environments. And so the vast majority of my time was spent in, you know, the kind of the usual delivery system of America, which is, you know, the kind of um, um, private practice, um, not-for-profit hospitals, et cetera. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to work for um, the last five years for um, the Geising Health System and gave me some experience in the integrated care system. So uh, mm -hmm. that's my background. At heart, um, still think about being a family doc, and uh, um, when all is said and done, probably the most gratifying thing you can do uh, in, um, in health care is to be a, a direct provider of care. Well, it sounds like uh, there's hopefully going to be some synergy about the direct provider of care uh, and the innovations that are badly needed. Um, let's let's now sort of jump to that uh, more recent part of your bio at Geisinger, and I guess I'm just curious, uh, given how much payment reform is on everyone's minds and the whole interesting quality uh, contract at Geisinger, how does that experience there sort of help you as you're thinking about payment reform now at the Innovation Center? Well, you know, um, we, we, the number one lesson I learned is, is about being a payer partner. And um, that is there, you know, we had an insurance company and we had um, obviously a large healthcare system. And, you know, the team, the team, the two teams kind of came together and very explicitly said, explicitly said if we're going to make a difference um, in improving uh, those three aims, we need to do it as a partnership. So rule one was, for me, it has to be a partnership. It has to work. It has to be centered around a patient, a family, a person. We need to start, start do all our design work starting there, and we need to think about that design work for pay, for care model reform and for payment reform, think about it with the patient at the center, but think about it literally as a partnership. And so I would, that's, if there's anything that, you know, we're going to, will be the hallmark of how we do things here, will be that as a partner. So that's, that I guess mm -hmm. I would say is number one. Um, secondly, it's hard uh, to deliver health care every day. Um, there are, you know, it's hard to be a, a, an office worker too. Yep. Um, but it's hard to deliver healthcare, so you have to be respectful about the fact that we're asking people at times to kind of re-engineer the care, even as they're trying to provide it to people who are in great need. Right. So it's we got to have great respect for that. Uh, and then three, you know, the reality is you need to you do need to provide a business model that makes sense to people, so that they you can align all the you know all the the forces that they have. To bring to beer to do uh, to do better work. So you need to kind of think about engineering care, but you also need to say, gee, how does this fit into the way an organization or an individual thinks about, you know, how they're how they're making their life work from a from a, um, a bare necessity standpoint, if you will. So you need to align payment 
with um, what you want to get done in the in the um, in, in a care, from the care model. And I think that is something we worked very hard on, and that uh, there was a lot of back and forth trying to figure out how to do that in the most effective way. Okay, very good. Well, you've been listening. Uh, in case uh, you, you haven't been paying attention to uh, Dr. Rick Gilfillan, he is the acting director of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and our guest on WIHI, and I'm Madge Kaplan. And now I'm going to bring up Jesse's microphone, and he's going to remind everybody about uh, how to post questions on chat. And I want to also remind everybody that if you're dialed in today and not on the computer as well and you can't see the computer screen uh, please let us know if you'd like to down, you know, get a copy of the chat from today. You can email us at info at IHI.org. Everyone else who is logged in, uh, you can download the chat uh, when we finish up the program today. So hold on, Jess. Let me get your mic up, and uh, then we'll find out about chats and what, what kinds of questions people have. Thanks, Madge. So I'm opening up the chat window now to everyone. Uh, I'd ask that when you are chatting your questions in, please select all atten- all participants. <laughs> See, even I mess it up. All participants from the drop uh, drop down menu that's just above where you enter the text. Uh, so again, please send your message to all participants, and that's now available for everybody. Uh, a question that came in from Judith Strobel, a uh, IHI fellow here. Um, payment models and their associated financial incentives are only one set of levers to encourage uh, quality improvement. Can you say something about any plans to explore other levels that help uh, shape that payer-provider relationship? All right. So here we go, Rick. It's it's not exactly Jeopardy, but it's <laughs> we're going to go make, make make the rounds uh, with all kinds of different questions. And uh, uh, can you can you start with that one? I, I sure can, and I can tell you that there's a guy named Joe McCannon who um, <laughs> e- educates me on that question on Hi, a regular Joe. basis. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. On a regular basis. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's exactly right, and um, there are um, the goal of CMS, the goal of the or the I should say more of the strategy, if you will, of CMS, the strategy of CMMI, is to say, let's take and use cooperatively. Um, every lever that we have to support providers help health care of the uh, of the importance of um, moving to that new care system and to support them in getting there and in delivering that new care so whether it's you know um, uh, educational activities um, community um, education activities um, conditions of participation, other regulations, being a good partner, providing information, paying claims rapidly and effectively, being responsive uh, to um, uh, your partner. Um, every every lever we can think of to, to, to drive and support this transition of care, uh, we will use, and we'll use them quite consciously. And while I think, as, as, I, as I think about this and talk about it with, with you know some people you all know well, what we say is you know there's a there's a why and there's a how and we need to think about both in terms of you know why am I going to provide care this way uh, and you know how am I going to do it are the key issues that we need to be um, thinking about constantly. So all of those levers, as well as you know spreading best practices and uh, finding new 
ways of doing things, in constantly uh, looking for improvement, providing feedback about outcomes um, are all very important pieces of um, that effort to, to support people in that transition. So, Rick, a relate. Thank you, uh, Rick, and for that question. There's a related one in which somebody is seems to be uh, very interested in sort of uh, the the specific things that will be chosen, uh, how outcomes will be monitored, sort of uh, sort, almost like the the whole science of also of evaluating and sort of whether that will happen in kind of a real time way. Uh, what what's being thought of there? Well. Um you know, let me. Let, here's the way people ask me about models and evaluation. Yeah. Here, here's kind of like the way I explain it. Okay. You know, every every th- every time someone thinks about a care model, we say, okay, start with a patient. Start with a patient and say, this patient has needs that are not being met. And okay, I have a, I have a way I think I could meet I could meet those needs better. Think about a model of care that meets a, a patient's needs that aren't being met today, or can they can meet them better. And then think about a population of those patients. And then think about how you can demonstrate how your model changes and results in better health, better care, reduced costs. Think concretely about those outcomes for that population based on your intervention for those patients, right? And if you think about that, think about it from the bedside or from the home or from the street level out, not from some theory down, but from some real perceived patient issue out. Think about it that way. Then you see that your measures of success are embedded right, right there in you, you know, the work, the feedback loops you need to establish every day. Your PDSA cycles, you know, the way you evaluate what you're doing every day is critical to the ultimate success. And then you say, well, how do I, how do I look and, and know whether or not the model's working? Well, you use some of those measures you know, they should be pretty close to the same, and you look at them on a constant basis, and you're constantly iterating both the model, at times the measures, and, and driving towards success, and we know how we define success. It's on those three dimensions. So if you think about it that way, and then say, well, at the end of the day, how are we going to evaluate whether the model works? Well, we're going to go look at what's happened to the total cost of care, and we're going to look at the agreed-upon quality metrics that we established for that patient, that population of patients, for that intervention right from the get-go. So every time we think about a model of care, we're going to ask, how's it going to improve health? How's it going to improve care? How's it going to reduce costs? How are you going to measure those things? And that's what we're going to track all the way through. And our evaluation techniques, you know, we'll, we'll have a variety of, um, and we use the full um, spectrum of techniques that are out there. We'll use, you know, realistic evaluation techniques. We'll use, you know, uh, some traditional uh, summative uh, evaluation techniques when they're appropriate. The, the key point I want to make is that metrics begin at the bedside when we're figuring out how to make a patient's life better. Okay, that's a very, very helpful, and I think that's a good framework. Um, I'll tell you, uh, folks really have quite the menu of uh, reforming our healthcare system uh, going on in chat right now, so we're okay. going gonna to do our best to kind of roll through these things. One very uh, kind of concrete question somebody has asked is they were referring to uh, related to care transitions and that a grant opportunity was announced in November and this person is saying it sounds very exciting, hoping it will come to fruition. Can you? So that sounds like something that's already kind of unfolded a bit. Can you talk about that? Well, you know, there are provisions um, in the Affordable Care Act around 
a variety of uh, uh, new, mo new, new models of care to improve transitions. And, um, you know, we, we are um, very interested in the whole issue of transitions of care as well as patient safety um, and looking at, you know, a possible, uh, that as a possible area for a major initiative. Um, and uh, so more to come on that. Uh, it's very important. Uh, and I think, again, I, I think care uh, transitions is, is a real good example of, you know, where, what, where we'd say, you know, start, start in the community and think about, you know, what's going on with that patient and build programs that, you know, go from a patient's home or from the nursing home, wherever that transition was to, think about what's going on there, build back, and think about an inter intervention uh, that's going to make a difference. Um, this is an area where it's interesting. There's a lot of theory, um, but um, again, very important to think about care models from the ground up. So thank you, um, and uh, don't forget to get a gulp of water if you need it. You're the one on the hot seat here. <laughs> I keep wishing. Sorry, I'm... sometimes people tell me to take a breath. No, no, no. I was just thinking. <laughs> I wish I could help you out with answering a few questions. And actually, that does lead me. One person has wondered who's helping you out there. Um, meaning, uh, what, what's the staff look like uh, at the innovation center? Somebody did ask that. Well, that's a great question, <laughs> and uh, I'll take the opportunity to do an advertisement. You know, we're. We are continuing to recruit. Um, we uh, um, are uh, looking for one passionate people who are, you know, excited about our mission, and um, people who bring a variety of types of experiences. You know, whether it's from uh, people from the hospital side, physician offices, other clinical folks, pharmacists. Uh, uh, we have um, some uh, occupational therapists, uh, physical therapists. Um, we have people um, from the finance side because it's going to be important for us to do um, to do uh, rigorous financial analysis. We have researchers, PhD types. Uh, so we have a nice assortment of folks at this point, uh, but we're in active recruitment mode, uh, and um, we are continuing to do that. So if anyone would like to uh, um, get in touch with our office uh, regarding <laughs> that, I think, uh, Madge, you can give them some contact information All right. uh, that will allow them to uh, volunteer or, or, right. or give us suggestions of folks you think we ought to have on our team. Okay, that's great. If anyone is seeking that, uh, we, we, uh, you can go ahead and email us at info at IHI.org and we'll try and get hold of that. That's terrific. Um, don't, don't go ahead and post your resumes just yet <laughs> to the chat. We may not know what to do with all of it yet, but that's great. Oh, oh sorry about that. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 it's great. This is just it. You think you're eager. Uh, we, we love uh, the very proactive way of, of everyone from WIHI. Well, here I'm going to try and sort of uh, bundle, dare I say, a couple of questions. Somebody asked uh, about community health workers. There was another question about nurse practitioners, physicians' assistants, sort of looking at our you know whether or not one of the priorities would be looking at who else and who else is needed to help uh, bring all these new models and, and excuse me models about and is that a particular focus kind of looking at the type of staffing and roles and functions? I, I think it uh, it is an area of um, we've heard a lot actually in travels um, from people about this um, and we're interested in. Um, Supporting uh, models that um, that take advantage of team-based care, 
that recognize that you know it only makes sense to have people practice at the top of their license, the top of their capabilities. Um, and we are quite interested in alternative approaches that um, that demonstrate. You know, I mean, a, a physician is a very costly uh, costly uh, resource, and and uh, if you know there are ways to be more um, efficient and 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 deliver the care that's as good or, dare I say, oftentimes for a lot of things better because oftentimes um, physicians, you know, physicians aren't the greatest at everything. Um, we're interested in learning more about those models, and we see them as being kind of natural parts of uh, some of the, you know, medical home initiatives that we're interested in, ACOs. And we think, frankly, that um, alternative payment arrangements will be kind of the um, the tool that liberates um, organizations mm -hmm. to experiment with with you know different types of healthcare providers. So the answer is yes, we're very interested in it. So is um, among some of the folks who are on here today, I think people are sort of reflecting some of the areas where they work. We've got somebody asking about small solo primary care practices and uh, feeling that perhaps uh, these nimble, agile organizations don't always get a seat at the table. Uh, is that something that the Innovation Center sort of has in mind, sort of that as a grouping? We we. Yeah, we do. Well, we don't think necessarily just solo, but we think about small practices and small primary care practices, and recognize that in many parts of the country, you know, that's all that's all there is, and in many ways, that may be all that makes sense. Uh, and so we can't um, we can't take care of. Um, we need to have a system that's diverse, and we're um, we we need to provide opportunities for folks in those situations to participate as well. So we're consciously trying to build in mechanisms, as I've said, to ensure that we don't just hear from the usual suspects and that, um, that when we establish programs, we establish them in ways that will allow folks in those kinds of situations to participate as well. So um, maybe we don't want to dwell too much on any usual suspects, but somebody is asking if you might be able to provide an example uh, from your research or some of the ramping up discussions that you had of sort of a model of taking care of a population that you and your staff have found particularly noteworthy, a good model already. Yeah. You know, actually, um yeah, there. I mean, <laughs> there's probably I, I more than everybody. one. Yeah, there's probably more than one. But uh, yeah, there are, and I'm yeah. a little reluctant to name <laughs> names. But why not, right? People do good work, um, and there's a lot of people doing good work out there. Yeah. You know, I think if I'd refer everybody to the uh, uh, Atul Gawande article in the New York Times. I'm sorry, New York Times, the New Yorker magazine. Yeah. About the work being done by um, uh, Jeff Brenner and his team in uh, Camden um, and Rashika uh, Fernandepool and his team down in Atlantic City, um, folks um, who have done um, uh, great work there, I think, um, along with the Atlantic City Medical Center and um, uh, the folks uh, that work there um, have done a nice job coming up with, you know, an unusual model. That was a model that was done by Boeing also out in uh, uh, in Seattle. We've been, we've been in all those places. Um, we talked to the folks from Camden recently. Um, there's uh, folks in Boston doing a fabulous job around um, um, some developmentally um, um, disabled folks that are that are you know just a remarkable 
approach to caring for a population that's incredibly um, um, vulnerable. And we've seen uh, models like that uh, in a number of places that are just, you know, people are just set up to do great things. So, you know, we went out to uh, uh, Denver and saw, you know, the approach to care that they've established at Dem Denver Health, um, went down to um, Dallas and um, saw a great uh, alternative care model in a, uh, a nursing facility down there where, you know, an entrepreneurial uh, gentleman said, you know, I'm going to build, I'm going to build the greatest um, post-acute care facility, it's going to be a resort, and I'm going to do it for less than what it costs people to go to an acute uh, rehab hospital, and, and man, it was great. What a great, you know, it's so much fun to get out and see people like that yeah, and definitely. think seriously about new ways of doing things. So I, I'm pro I know I'm, I'm shortchanging some things we saw around the country, um, uh, and there, we went to uh, Virginia Mason and saw their model. Um, you know, talk with the folks at uh, John Toussaint out of Theta Care doing great work there. So there's just so, my, so many models, um, I think, around the country that, uh, um, again, as I said, there's innovation everywhere. And, and when we think about innovation, we say, is it innovation about those three aims for a population? If it is, that's what we're interested in, and, and so mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of it. So um, here, here's an interesting uh, question maybe uh, that also sort of knits together a, a couple of thoughts here. As I see people wondering about uh, whether there's going to be attention uh, paid to needs for having to do with uh, OBGYN, maternal health, uh, other issues of uh, kind of, I think speaking of Atul Gawande, kind of the whole hotspotters, uh, folks who with very, very serious uh, chronic health problems, also co combination of uh, physical health and mental health issues, how, <laughs> I'm wondering, how will you prioritize, or shall I ask it, it slightly differently, is there sort of a sense almost of most pressing kinds of things to really address at the Innovation Center? Because this does sound amazing, almost like an accordion, and, you know, what, what couldn't be considered, you know, under this umbrella. But what are there some, is the staff sort of working on maybe some real priority uh, issues, or is it, I, well, anyway, I'll stop there. What do, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, clearly uh, folks who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid are, um, are uh, they're vulnerable, they're in need, and there's an incredible opportunity to say, let's go make care better for folks. It's going to be the right thing to do for, for them, and it's going to, over the long haul, improve the cost of care for states and for the federal government. So dual eligible folks are critical, and um, we are, you know, working hard with Melanie Bella, and um, who runs the uh, federal uh, Office of Coordinated Health Care for dual eligibles, and with Cindy Mann in uh, Medicaid and John Blum in Medicare to kind of find solutions for that population. So that's clearly a focus. Um, we're looking hard at, um, well, you know, we, we, you have to kind of think about our work as kind of a portfolio of, uh, of initiatives and models that we're pursuing. And, and you're kind of asking, well, what are the criteria used to, to choose models yeah. to fit into that portfolio? We think about, you know, how much impact it's going to have across what population. Okay. We think about um, how much it's going to improve the cost of care, what the quality uh, of care improvement opportunities are. We think about time frame. How much can we do today hmm. that will allow us to make a difference in the short term? How much is going to take a longer period of time? 
Um, if we think about geographic regions and you know different uh, demographics, and how can we um, how do we address rural areas? How do we address uh, urban areas? And I think you know, frankly, there will be a continuing emphasis also on how do we address you know the most vulnerable folks wherever they are because they have the greater need, and in this case, you know, oftentimes the greatest expense. So this is an opportunity for us to do the right thing from, you know, from several different perspectives and really kind of give the more vulnerable folks who don't necessarily always have kind of the, the, all the resources pointed their way to kind of make sure that we do the right thing uh, for those folks in particular. So I, I'd, I'd stop there and say, you know, that's... Okay. That's helpful. That is helpful. Yeah. That, that 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 gives us. I, I can sort of. I think that that can help people um, sort of frame a little bit more. And uh, particularly interesting things having to do with impact costs, time frame, uh, geographic uh, diversity. Uh, a kind of out of some of this maybe a total uh, triple aim framework. Uh, I do have a couple of questions here. People wondering about sort of things that would fall more under patient safety, hospital acquired infections, sort of those areas of improvement. Where does that all fit in? Well, it, um, you know, when I mentioned our three levels of care, if you will, um, you know, care model, seamless coordinated care, population level care, um, patient safety is an, a great opportunity. And, and, you know, all these things kind of cross yeah. over each other and stuff. But the reality is, you know, most of that work um, to improve um, Patient safety, hospital acquired, healthcare acquired conditions and infections falls into uh, into that um, patient care model. We are going to be very um, very active in that space. Um, it is going to be a primary focus, and um, more about that soon to come. Okay, very good. Uh, th this is exciting because in many ways this is a wonderful uh, setup for uh, more news. And um, dare I say I'd get you back on here uh, given how busy you're going to be, <laughs> given the agenda that's rolling out here. But maybe we can work it out a year from now and see see how things are going. Uh, somebody has asked a little bit whether in fact... I, I hope, hey, Madge. Yeah. Yeah, between you and I and the yeah. 700 people, yeah. we sure hope we'll have a lot more to talk about before a year. <laughs> okay. No, no, I'm sure. I'm just wondering if I can get in on your schedule. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, that's that's all. You're, you're going to be so busy. Um, somebody has asked, actually, kind of flipping back a little bit to some of these measurement issues and sort of evaluating whether or not the Innovation Center is going to be interested in proposals or innovations that have to do with measurement itself, uh, sort of new models, new ways of evaluating things um, you know th that's a, that's a great question and um, I know we are going to we CMS and HHS uh, are we are all very interested in um, improving our ability to measure um, across those three dimensions and so the answer is across the entire organization yes we will be how we exactly go out and you know kind of do that work um, across the different parts of HHS and the administration, I think, is something we will sort out over time. Um, our focus tends to be on uh, on the uh, care model side, as I've described. Um, part of that, though, obviously, we can't do the work we're talking about doing without having the right metrics at hand. So, some it, it may well be the case in some of our initiatives that we need to work hard 
at identifying metrics even as we're going through the work. And I would, as an example, you know, people have talked about patient safety, and gee, is there a good measure for all-cause all harm today? And if we seek to have an initiative where we measure uh, and judge success by reductions in all-cause harm, do we need to do the work as part of that initiative to actually create that metric and collect that information? Those are the kinds of discussions we're having. Okay, so I want to tell everybody, and I also want to alert Rick. Uh, you, you can. Uh, it's up, up to you, Rick. Uh, can we keep you around for maybe five, ten minutes after the top of the hour and get through a few more of these questions? Do you have the time? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Getting the nod here. All right. So that means those of you who are on, uh, we'll, we'll uh, we're just going to go over just a little bit today. That's very uh, nice of Rick to do so, so that we can get through a few more things. There were a couple questions, and I just see another one here about the relationship between what's going to happen at the Innovation Center and QIOs, Quality Improvement Organizations, uh, and that also does. Uh, I Rick, I, I asked you about this even before when we. We chatted briefly yesterday, kind of the dynamic and relationship between what happens at the Innovation Center, what kinds of things roll out from CMS directly. Um, I don't don't want to get us too bogged down in all the details, but can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I would just say we, we're, we're exquisitely conscious of, um, of um, making sure we coordinate that in a smart way. And I, I just, like, I guess an hour ago or so, ran into um, the person responsible for QIOs and we, you know, had another conversation as we frequently do about how the work is going to be coordinated and how it makes the most sense to coordinate it. So um, we are very conscious of it. We are very conscious across HHS of the need to not push and pull, you know, providers, physicians, et cetera, in, in multiple directions and as much as possible try and, you know, lay out a common pathway on that transition and, and in terms of measures and stuff. That's a tall order to do given all the work that's been done over the years, but we're working hard to try and do that and uh, we will uh, um, we, we will hopefully that will be evident um, in the next in the tenth statement of work for QIOs and in the work that we roll out. Okay. So another question related to, um, I, I, let's sort of talk just for a couple minutes about uh, accountable care organizations. If I had a dollar for every time ACOs are mentioned these days, um, well, I might be off on a slow boat to somewhere. But um, here I am and nowhere else I'd rather be. And the so my first question to you is, is it appropriate that everyone is focused so much on ACOs right now? Is, is, is that where all the heat should be? Or are we missing something by uh, that preoccupation? You know, um, <laughs> I, I, that's, a, that's a loaded question. I'm isn't sorry, it? I didn't mean it. Yeah, to right. Me. I guess I, I, I will, I, I will, um, yeah. you know, cloak myself in the um, okay in the ultimate defense of you know the market knows best, and so yeah. if that's what everybody's thinking about, you know, hopefully this is one of those instances where they know what they're doing. Um, I, I do th we believe firmly that, uh, you know, the only way to get progress on those three dimensions is to have people be accountable for those three dimensions. And so, you know, that, that's what ACOs are about. Um, hopefully uh, we will find a lot of people uh, who agree to take that, you know, first step on that journey. And uh, that 
first step was laid out pretty clearly uh, in the uh, Medicare Shared Savings uh, portion, Section uh, 3022 of the uh, Affordable Care Act. And, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, there's going to be people who get serious about delivering um, uh, those outcomes for their population. So, mm-hmm. okay. Let's see. All right. Uh, thank you. And uh, so I'm sorry. I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to go back uh, to, to the chat. Um, there, uh, there's there been some interesting discussion. There was an article in the New England, a perspective piece, I guess I should call it, in the New England Journal of Medicine in the fall. And then um, my guest on WIHI earlier this month, Pauline Chen from the New York Times, uh, picked up on this issue. And that has to do with how patients and families, a very activated community right now, uh, as we're witnessing, I think, in spades here at IHI, uh, where, how will they have a seat at the table? And in particular, the New England Journal of Medicine piece was about uh, patients not being included enough in the designs of ACOs, and uh, that perhaps setting up a potential bit of friction, almost uh, reminiscent of, of managed care and folks feeling kind of left out. Uh, and um, so, again, I'm not trying to ask you really loaded questions, but just sort of get a sense of kind of what you're thinking is uh, going on at the Innovation Center with regard to uh, including uh, sort of the perspective of patients and families in new design models. Right. Um, well, I think, you know, one of the things we, uh, in a prior life that we, we talked about was kind of like, you know, people-centered engineering. Um, and um, people, you said I, I, people-centered engineering. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, yeah, and and um, I mean, I th- and I think that's that's kind of where we need to start. We need to think about um, designing care systems, care models, our own work from the perspective of people, patients. You know, uh, and and so we have, and one of the reasons why we reached out and tried to get so many people to provide us input was to get that. Um, we also will be uh, and are considering alternative ways of um, getting uh, advisory groups um, and kind of uh, to work closely with us, and we'll be uh, saying more about that not far down the road as well. Okay. And as part of that, getting, um, getting uh, patients, um, ad- patient advocacy groups, uh, consumers, et cetera, engage with us in that manner. I can't say much about the, um, yep. specifically about the ACO side, given that, you know, the regs will be uh, coming out. Um, but um, I, think, I think people are, it's great for people to constantly uh, be looking to us. And, you know, it's one thing for us to say, you know, be people-centered in the health system. Uh, it's another thing to say, well, let's be people-centered in what you're doing, too. And uh, I think we are going to try and live up to that, and we think it's important. And we think all care engineering and design needs to start um, with thinking about a patient. And all of our care model design, as I said, needs to start with thinking about a patient and hearing from patients and people and patients' families about um, how they feel about their care experience. Okay, thank you so much, Rick. Well, I'm going to make a brief mention of something, and then I think we'll uh, allow you, Rick, maybe to just wrap things up for us today. Uh, just a reminder that uh, we've been talking a lot about harnessing best practices and spreading them. It's a huge challenge, but one we're all up for. And IHI does offer a program dedicated to spreading whole system improvement. It's called Executive Quality Academy. It's an intensive learning session, and uh, it's ideal for up to five 
members of an executive team that's looking to intertwine quality aims and strategic planning. So that program is here in Cambridge from April 26th through the 28th, and you can find out more by visiting uh, the information online at www.ihi.org. You can also go right to backslash EQA, so www.ihi.org backslash EQA. All right. Well, I think we've uh, done pretty well uh, in getting through most of the questions in the chat and the themes. Uh, this is really exciting. It's a, You sort of set us up nicely, I think, for uh, the news to come. And I do hope uh, any of you who joined us today who know of people uh, who would, couldn't make it, uh, we certainly uh, had about almost uh, 1,600 people who signed up for the program today, so that's great. Uh, please remind them that they can download uh, the show as of tomorrow morning. They can get it right off the website. So, Rick, let me just allow you to make any sorts of closing comments right now. Uh, you're busy. Your staff is busy. Uh, you said watch this space on the website. Uh, and anything else uh, to sort of get us uh, ready? And uh, should we be jogging around the block just that much more uh, to sort of take on uh, these tasks at hand? <laughs> well, you know, um you know, what? I, the thought that occurs to me is to say to you guys that your time has come. Um, the time to, you know, use all that you've learned and all that you've developed, you know, from your work uh, over the years across your institutions and across IHI, et cetera, um, is now. Um, we have new tools, you know, new opportunities, a leadership uh, here at CMS that you all know won't let us take any easy way out. Um, and, and the job before us is clear. You all know what it is. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, y your time is now and um, seize it. Um, talk to someone about taking that first step on the journey wherever you go and um, push us hard to support you all as the, uh, the people who, at the end of the day, are going to come up with new care models, um, improve the delivery of care, and change people's lives, make people's lives better every day. And um, we just really look forward uh, to working with you as, uh, as you guys, at the end of the day, do that out in uh, your community. So thanks very much for the opportunity, Madge. Right. It's great. And I salute you all for the great work I know you all have done over the years. And... Uh, Let's go out and change this system and make it better. All right. Sounds terrific. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Rick Gilfillan, uh, who joined us by phone from Washington. Uh, we're sure he's rushing off to something important. Just some uh, final, and thank you for all, all of you for your very active participation today. A few final words for me next up on WIHI on March 10th. Speaking of patients at the table, we're going to find out about another kind of huge new group of improvers, patients and family advisors. That's on March 10th. A fabulous panel. It's really going to give you a sense of the range of activities that are going on uh, all across the country. Uh, the website page uh, for that March 10th, WIHI is now live, and you can even enroll right now if you'd like. So you can go right over to IHI.org, click on the WIHI logo, and you'll find all the information. Again, a reminder, when you log off today, you can download the chat, and if you like some of the photos, 
photos we used. <laughs> you can download some of those as well. We really, really encourage you, if you have just a minute or two, to fill out a brief survey that uh, helps us continue to improve the program. And by tomorrow morning, uh, you will see uh, the audio of this program. It's also available on iTunes, <coughs> excuse me, and also a very lovely resource document that has some references. Vicki Minden puts that together for us for every show. Any questions whatsoever, anything you didn't follow, anything you missed, info at IHI.org. Now, the people who make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olson, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, and Vicki Minden. And we do have some fun music that opens and closes WIHI. Those are original arrangements by Aaron Flanders on guitar and Miguel Sapasoa on piano. So again, a big thank you to Rick Gilfillan. We had to let him go. Uh, I thought it was absolutely energizing. I hope you did as well. Let us know. And again, uh, keep keep listening. Keep tuning in to WIHI. We really do appreciate that. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.